if we would have to choose something that really we, we focus on for false prevention, the single most effective intervention that we know will work for everyone and will have an effect on other things as well is exercise. We need people to do about two hours a week of exercises to make sure that it works over forever, essentially. Silver Adventures is a content and technology company dedicated to improving the lives of older adults through immersive virtual reality experiences. And this podcast is our opportunity to hear from industry experts, thought leaders, and passionate individuals to share with you their knowledge, expertise, and experiences. Welcome to the Age Care Enrichment Podcast. Hello there, welcome to the ACE Podcast. My name's Ash Deneef. Falls are one of the most prevalent and challenging risks that older adults face, and addressing them needs to take into account a wide array of risk factors from physical and mental health to the environment, and as I learned in this interview, even what you're thinking about. I spoke to Professor Kim Delbert from the University of New South Wales and Neuroscience Research Australia, whose work focuses on understanding the factors that can lead to falls amongst older adults and finding what she calls acceptable interventions. Kim is also the president of the Australian and New Zealand Falls Prevention Society, and has been instrumental in the creation of new tools for falls prevention, such as the Standing Tall app, which you can learn more about at standingtall.org.au. So I hope you enjoy the interview with Professor Kim Delbert. Kim, thanks for joining us on the program. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, pleasure to have you here. Maybe uh, we can start with with a bit of your background. Who are you and, and what's some of the research that you're doing at the moment, maybe? Yeah, so my name is uh, Kim Nalbeer and I'm a physiotherapist by background. Um, I've got my training in Belgium originally, so if people are wondering where the accent is coming from, that's where it is. So, so that's kind of where the base of my training is, so in physiotherapy and exercise. And so where I am based now is I'm, I'm based in Neuroscience Research Australia which is uh, a medical, independent medical research institute um, that is affiliated with UNSW. Awesome. And so what, what sort of work are you doing at Neuro? So my main line of work is uh, falls in older people. I've been doing that all the way back since my PhD years. So that started in 2001. Yeah. So that's always been my, my key interest, false prevention in older people. And firstly, trying to understand what causes falls. So that was definitely something I was very interested early on in my research years. But now I have moved on more into what can we do about it? And what is an acceptable intervention for older people? And what is likely to work best? Um, so, so those things and all the way throughout the spectrum, I guess, from people who are active and healthy, as well as people who might be aging with chronic conditions. Mm, okay. So it sounds like the, there must be a lot of stuff in here to be doing 20 plus years worth of research mm. on falls prevention. I mean, to ask a, kind of a, a silly question straight up, is this a big problem for older people? 
It absolutely is. We use these stats that um, about one in three older people from the age of 65 will fall at least once in any year. And if you have fallen once, you're quite likely to fall again. And so as, as people get older, so from the age of 85, it is about one in two. And that goes even up if we look at residential aged care. So it is a huge problem. It's a huge cost as well to society. But it's also a huge cost to the individual because as a result of a fall, you might experience some fear of falling or concerns about falling again. And as a result, you might say, well, actually, I had this fall in this situation. I might not do that again on my own. Or, and that often leads to a restriction of activities that people might enjoy doing. And that then ends up in this negative spiral where, you know, you might not be as active anymore. So you might become a bit more frail and, and there might be um, a bit of um, a, a decline in your physical capacity. But it also has other implications on your mental health and your mood, your well-being and your overall quality of life. So there's, it is an, a very important problem. And it's something we absolutely need to try and prioritize to do something about. Mm. Well, what you're saying there's reminded me that my grandma recently had a fall while she was gardening and people in my family are talking about, you know, you should just get someone to do the gardening. You should pay someone to come in and do it. But that comes at the cost of her independence and something that she loves doing that she's been doing for, you know, 50, 60 years. So yeah. it's not just a simple case of health there, is it? No, absolutely. And it's something that we're all inclined to do. So why don't you get some help to get that done? But we don't think about the other side of the coin. So it might be better, like in case of your grandma, to get a physiotherapist to give her some exercises to make it easier to do gentle squats, for example, or to get down and, and get back up again after she's done some garden bed fixing or, you know, something like that for as long as possible. There might be a time where you say, well, no, this is now, now we really need to find some help for you. But um, definitely shouldn't be the first resort. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned a phrase there, which I'd, I'd love to have a look at. This is acceptable intervention. What is acceptable? What's the difference between an acceptable and an unacceptable intervention in this sort of situation? Yeah, well, thanks, Ash. That's a great question. There's immediately something that pops into my head with that question because it's a few years ago, but a very respectable research group in New Zealand, they looked at something extremely sensible. And that was when we know that one of the risk factors for falls is taking sleeping medication because it makes you a bit drowsy and it often kind of lingers in to the day a little bit. Mm. So what they thought to do was we will make sure we will try and get people off these sleeping tablets. So we will do a randomized control trial. Half of the people will be in the control group. They can keep taking their sleeping tablets and the other half, we will help them to kind of wean off it. And that is, it's, it's really a landmark study for a few reasons um, because they wanted quite a large number. I think they wanted about 300 people in this study, but they ended up with just over 100. So that was already first problem. They had heaps of trouble recruiting for that because no one wanted mm. to give up their sleeping tablets. <laughs> and then within that first group, within the 100 people, so half of them were exposed to this intervention, there were so many people who just 
couldn't do it and they didn't want to do it. And the very few people, which was really a minority, I'd have to look up on the stats, who did manage to push through this for six months. As soon as the six months were over, they were back on the sleeping tablets. <laughs> but it was yeah. one of the most effective interventions, though. Like, it is something that we know really, really works. So stopping taking sleeping tablets absolutely works to prevent falls. But it's not an acceptable intervention because people don't want to lose their sleep. They don't want to give up on on the sleeping tablets and there are better sleeping tablets these days but that's like it's an older study like it's definitely a study from about 25 years ago but that is like a really key example of something that is not acceptable and like what we know now like as in if we would have to choose something that really we, we focus on for false prevention, the single most effective intervention that we know will work for everyone and will have an effect on other things as well is exercise. And, mm. But that is also, that is something that can be both acceptable and unacceptable. So we mm. really need to find a way to make that essential intervention acceptable so that everyone can fit it into their routine or, you know, they can just make sure that it gets done because yeah, we need people to do about two hours a week of exercises to make sure that it works over forever, essentially. Wow. So it sounds like this word acceptable is really individualized as to what is somebody willing to to Absolutely. give up or to to accommodate in the case of somebody who's not willing to accommodate exercise i mean is there a way to frame an exercise in a, in a more positive way or, or is it a case of we just got to find other interventions exercise is a mindset being active is a mindset and i think it is essential there is no replacement for it you can't replace exercise with a medication. You can't mm. replace exercise with anything really um, that will help or have the same effects. We just need to be active. And the way to then, it's, it's more like, is it a negotiation? I, I don't know. Like we just need mm. to find different ways of being active. And there's been lots of people trying different things. Um, so one study that I particularly like in this context that we're talking about now is called the LIFE study. And that was led by a colleague of mine called Lindy Clemson. And so what she thought of doing, she's an occupational therapist by background, and what she thought of doing was, all right, so not everyone likes exercising. I will come up with a program that helps people to put exercise into a daily routine. For example, if, the, if you're boiling some water in the kettle, maybe the exercise of that moment for you is to do some squats while you're waiting for the cat kettle to, to boil. So mm. just to kind of have these kind of links with certain activities, or if you're brushing your teeth, maybe you're standing doing it on, on one leg or, you know, <laughs> that mm -hmm. might be a bit tricky with all the balancing, but you know what I mean? So, and that is something that, that has been successful as well. But then for other people, they might say, well, you know what? I really need someone to push me. I need someone else to tell me, why didn't you come to the group class last week? And that's what I need. Like I need to be held accountable for that. And I need to kind of have that social interaction. So that might be the case for other people. That's how they say, well, you know, it's not about 
the exercise really like I feel like I've got to do that but it's really about the chit chat after and having a coffee Mm. and that's what I enjoy and that's what makes me go and actually the more I do it now the better I feel about it and I think it's helping so that's essentially what we need to get to get people to exercise is for them to feel the benefit but to get that uptake that is what is often hard Mm. like if you've got an exercise that people do and they do it often enough then they will feel the benefit they will feel better in themselves they will feel more stable on their feet and they might feel even that their cognition because we know that exercise is also very good for cognitive function so that even that they might feel that they can think a little bit quicker on their feet as well so and that's really what we need to aim for Mm, that's awesome I I like what you're mentioning there about the social groups it reminds me of being at the pool and I was recently invited into like a water aerobics class where I was probably the youngest person by 40 years and the only male as well so they're really keen very welcoming and and inviting there I I guess it's such a social situation for them that makes yeah. that uh, an enjoyable situation but i, I regret yeah. not taking part i made a lame excuse oh no else. yeah <laughs> it's so much fun <laughs> yeah <laughs> so we, we've yeah. mentioned a few a few of the factors that can lead to falls is it a, are they complex factors is it just a simple one or two things or are there many different elements that can contribute yeah, there are many different elements. Like there was a study a few years ago that actually tried and look at all the different risk factors that had been mentioned in the literature as important, and they're over four hundred. So, and oh, that is, okay. yeah, that is actually it's it's what makes falls hard to prevent as well because it's a multifactorial problem. So there's been a few strategies trying to address that as a multifactorial problem, so meaning that they would do a multifactorial intervention. But what we have seen there is that while that would have some effect, it doesn't have as strong of an effect as something as doing one thing really well. Mm. And there's been some theories about that, that people might choose, might prioritise an intervention that's a bit easier and that might typically not be exercise because exercise is not an easy intervention. And so over the years, like there's been lots of studies trying to do this and they've been also been compared with more like single interventions like exercise program, for example. And now there is the idea really that if you do multifactorial or a multidisciplinary intervention, that's all good and well, but it can't come at a cost of not doing exercise because exercise seems to be the one thing that will definitely make a difference. And if it comes out of cost of that, it might not be as good as just doing exercise. So it is, it's a multifactorial problem, but just to kind of come back to your question, really, because if you think about 400 different risk factors, it's too much. You can't, you can't really Mm. even grasp it. And so I like to break it down. There's certain factors that you just can't do anything about, you know, like as you get older, the risk will increase. It's, that's not a real risk factor. I don't care about age. It's a number. Mm. But the way I like to look at it is, is that there's three key components and often refer to it as, as thinking, feeling, moving. So those three factors and moving we've spoken about that a few times already and it will always be important because for me as a physiotherapist the other side of the coin as well like the thinking and the feeling is 
equally important. Like if you don't feel well in yourself, you won't go out and be active. You know, it doesn't work that way. And if you mm. don't think quick on your feet, which is also something that we know is very important as you get older, being able to do multiple things at the same time, which we actually do all the time, but all the time. And we don't even realize it. You know, you walk on the street to you're going to the shop and then you, you've got your list of what you need. And then you say, Oh, I didn't check if we've got enough milk in the fridge, for example. Happens all the time, right? But mm. does that disturb your balance? You wouldn't even Not think usually. it would. No. Yeah. But as you get older, it might because you're really trying to think back, oh, last time I opened the fridge when I got some milk for my cup of tea, how much was in there? And it might really be enough to not be as stable on your feet. So all those wow. things like we really, that, and that's something we can do about, you know, we, we can do something about that. And that's what, what's, yeah, what we need to focus on. When we think about risk factors of falling, think about the things that we can change. Hey, did you know we launched a new show this season? Hello, I'm here with Daniela Greenwood. And I'm here with Maury Voicey Barland. That's right, Daniela and Maury are back. And they're joining us every Friday for their new show, Who Cares? Where they'll be taking a quizzical look at some of Age Care's challenges and exploring what they mean for all of us working in the industry. I'm really stumped by how what the resolution is here because I think there's a lot to dig into. You would have been better working at McDonald's, Murray, because I they've got a good set. I could have been somebody, <laughs> Daniela. I could have been somebody. You are a somebody, Murray. You, and the more I learn about you, you're an amazing oh, somebody. Oh, thank you. I think the same. It's a double dose of podcast fun each week, and you can find it right here in the Ace Feed every Friday. You're going to be the new Minister of Ageing if it's the last thing I do. Just to you know, stay with this idea of quickness of thinking and, and that sort of stuff, how do you work on that? How do you have, what's an intervention for your mental processing? Yeah, well, so there's been a few kind of thoughts with that. Like one is like to kind of improve your reaction time. We were talking about that a little bit just before the blog started as well. So we've got this program it's and where we actually try and trip people like it's perturbation training and um, we try mm -hmm. and trip and slip people and so that could be one thing where you get people to think quicker on their feet um so that they they really kind of get um their reaction quick and make the right step quickly but another thing that and that is something that has shown to work really well but just to interject um, that that's in a controlled environment, right? You're not trying to trip people <laughs> at random. It is. It is. Absolutely. We've got harnesses and everything. And it's something that works really well. But what I like to do in my own research as well is to help people to do th two things at the same time and train that. And that's called dual task training or cognitive motor training. Mm -hmm. It's also called. And that what we're really trying to do there is that we, we're distracting people. It's, it's not as kind of uh, intrusive as tripping them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which sounds a little bit cruel if you say it like that. It's more so for, and it's something you, like everyone could try it. You could mm. try it as well, Ash. So when you're standing on one leg, like for you, standing on one leg, maybe close your eyes to make it a little bit harder and then like, do something else like with your brain, like maybe doing some sums, complicated sums or counting backwards from 100 mm. by sevens and see what it does to your balance 
or do that while you're walking on one line, for example. Like it really kind of makes you feel a bit more wobbly. And that shows that balance and walking is actually not mm. automatic. You know, you actually, you need more than just your muscles. You need your brain to be able to do that well. And that is something that we can train. So we can actually add all these kind of extra cognitive stimuli while you're doing a balance exercise and making that a little bit easier. And that helps with the chopping example that we gave before. So if then something would happen, and sometimes it's not like an internal kind of process, but there might actually be something outside, like there's maybe like cars making like lots mm. of noise and they're honking towards each other and you're like really feeling the stress of the situation, even though you're not <laughs> in the situation yourself. But that in itself, you can't control that. You kind of have to kind of either ignore it, which is called inhibition, if you feel it's actually affecting you too much. But that in itself is also a cognitive process. So we're trying to really um, get everything like trained there, like training to inhibit certain stimuli that are not helpful for your situation, prioritizing balance over anything else, like the cars. Mm -hmm. you don't care about the cars if they're distracting you. And like working memory as well, like just making sure that the things that really need to work, you know, and that you need to remember, like you need to remember they're the ones that you hold on to and not the other things. Mm, wow. Okay. So yeah. does that mean that, you know, you always see these ads for, for little phone games or that are training your brain to do X, Y, and Z? Are those things actually making a difference in this sort of processing and, and, and balance? Well, so there's been some thought that just doing that, so if you would do those exercises while you're seated, that there might be a benefit, but we're yet to see that it's enough. So I, I definitely think combination with some balance or walking training is the way to go. Right. Okay. Maybe if you've got your phone up on a tightrope and you're balancing that way, maybe yeah. the games will help then. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Well, speaking of digital programs, software, digital tools, I know you've done some research on different digital um, projects that can help with balance. Can you maybe share some of those with us? Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's something that, you know, when the iPad first came out, really, that's when we started thinking about using technology for exercise delivery. And I've done a bit of work with other technology as well, like Xbox, for example. Mm -hmm. And... Like because they're wonderful pieces of technology and they really open up a lot of opportunities. But when we, like I'll just use the Xbox example because we've been talking about this before as well about acceptable interventions. Mm -hmm. And while it was very exciting for me as a scientist to kind of explore using that and we did kind of do we involved older people as well in this process to make sure that it would be as acceptable as possible, which is something I feel very close to. Like, I think it's very important to make sure that we actually design an intervention for the group and not just me in my ivory tower mm -hmm. thinking this will be good. Um, 
And so with that intervention, what we saw that people just got so frustrated. Mm. While the idea was interesting to them, actually the use of it was just so frustrating. So we kind of parked that and said maybe later, but definitely not something that we want to pursue now. Like it's just not something we can get people across the line to do indefinitely at the moment. And that's where we move to other like more acceptable things like an iPad. And for me, that's really where my research shifted in the intervention space because like, one of the hardest things as a physiotherapist or you know, exercise physiologist or a- occupational therapist, like anyone who wants to prescribe exercise, it's one of the hardest things. And like, I don't think it will come as a surprise to anyone, you know, like we've all, like, even if you are an exercise guru and you say, yeah, no, it's not a problem for me. Well, then think about that time that you actually went to see the physio because you had some kind of niggling issue with your lower back or whatever it was, and the physio said, yes, you need to do these type of exercises, (laughs) then just be honest with yourself when you went back to the physio and the physio asked, did you do your exercises? How many times did you say, yeah? Yeah, sure, I did those. (laughs) When I was here last time. (laughs) Yeah. And that's the thing, like, it's just the hardest thing to get people to do. So what we did with the iPad is like, we really designed it together with older people. So, and we would um, give examples to people and just make sure that we get it right. And we design it the right way and that we describe the buttons in a correct way and that we use the nice colors Mm. and that we're not condescending so that we're just clear. And so that's what we have done. So we have designed a program which we call Standing Tall. And we've put that now through quite a few clinical trials. Um, So where we would have half of the people using um, the app and the other half of the people would not be using the app. Um, And in that study, we were able to show that people were that we prevented falls, we prevented injuries from falls as well by 20%. And it was a study that went over two years, so a very long-term um, effect. And what was the most proud moment really is that we actually got people to do the exercise. Mm. So when we looked at, like we can, with an iPad, you can actually see, so you can't fib about it, right? Like you can't do what you do with the physio and say, yeah, yeah, yeah I did them. Um, so we can see it. So, but we had like after two years, we still had over half of the people using the program, which is extraordinary. Mm. We've never seen that before. And we, we asked them to, to use it for two hours a week. So, you know, like it's, it's not a minimal ask. Yeah. And if we go back to like our six month time point, we still had um, 85% of the people using it. So, and that is something in no intervention I have ever been able to do that. And it's, it's really given us hope that we can use technology. In, in a very acceptable way um, to allow people to do these exercises that they need to do in the comfort of their own home without having to rely on a health professional to prescribe the exercises and deliver them in a way that there is a lot of variation and there is no 
boredom because exercises, especially balance exercises, they can be quite boring, you know, and if they say you have to do this forever, you know, two hours a week forever. So we've really made it, like, try to make it as interesting as possible. And so we're adding those cognitive distractions in it and we're having some walking exercises as well as standing exercises. And it's a functional program. So it's really meant to be as functional as possible so that it, it has that impact on the daily life. And that's something that we hear all the time that they would say, well, it's really helped me to do this. Like mm. I, I struggled to do this activity before and now I feel it's easy and it just kind of happened. Yes, yeah, so that's what we've been using technology to deliver exercises and like, it's been a successful adventure. I'll call it an adventure because it was, <laughs> it was one. <laughs> hey, I'm wondering with, you know, with the size of this problem and, you know, the cost to individuals and to organizations and to society as a whole, are there protocols, frameworks, systems on the national level or across home care, residential aged care that are kind of regulating and, and ensuring that there are actions taken to prevent falls? Yeah, that's a, a great question and frustrating um, as well <laughs> because, no, there isn't. And it's, it's something that, yeah, we've been trying to push for as well. So we used to have in New South Wales, we used to have a policy, um, but it goes back quite a few years. And with that policy, there, there did come a framework and we had local health districts, which is what we call them here in New South Wales. So the, the big regions in New South Wales that were taking responsibility for it. And we also had a program which is still funded in New South Wales called Stepping On, which is like a group-based program that goes for seven weeks where people can sign up for. But there's huge waiting lists as well. And there doesn't seem to be enough funding injected to make sure that we have more people delivering Stepping On. Um, so and having more trainers to deliver that, but also like, you know, giving other solutions as well. Like maybe stepping on is not the only thing, like maybe there are other options that we need to focus on. And it's definitely like, as you say, you mentioned systems, like falls is complex and we all need to work on this together. Like we really need a systems approach. We know it's a huge problem in residential aged care. And with the upcoming elections, we have heard that there is some advocacy to improve um, aged care in, you know, hopefully in the near future. Fingers um, crossed. Yep. Yeah, fingers <laughs> crossed. But it's wider than that. It's wider than residential aged care. We definitely need more allied health, please. And residential aged care is totally unacceptable that not every aged care setting has a physiotherapist to rely on. Like this should not happen in a country like mm. Australia. Like it should be a priority. But also in other areas like home aged care. But the community itself, like we need a lot of options for people to be active, for people to lead healthy lives and for people people to get help to be active as well because it's one of the hardest things to do and having a policy for falls prevention even though I agree it's not the most sexy topic but it is essential and it will save money because money talks if we can prevent falls by 20 to 30 percent by getting the right exercises to people and and having that culture change you know, that has to be a winner. Like we have to work on this together. So mm. 
Short answer, no. (laughs) 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 Frustrating answer. We absolutely should and we really need to work on that. Yeah, yeah. Is there a shortage of physiotherapists, exercise physiologists and and other allied health professionals in this space? Yeah, there it definitely is. There would be a shortage, but where the big shortages is in more regional and remote areas as well. And because there's certain times where there is just there is no physiotherapist, you know, like mm-hmm. you can't go see someone because they live like a hundred kilometers away and that doesn't have to be like in the most remote areas of Australia like it is in regional Australia as well and so yeah so we do need to come up with you know we can't just put people there there needs to be the right funding space for that but we might also be able to think about other solutions like using things like telehealth which COVID has really opened up that space and physiotherapists are using this exercise physiologists are using this all the time there's been all these group classes online and a program like standing tall for example as well where you can still kind of communicate with your health professional about the exercises that you're doing and which ones are hard and which ones are easy. They open up all these opportunities to make sure that we can get people to be active. But it again, it comes down to funding. You can't just put that out there if no one is actually funding that program. So we, right. we need to work that out. And politicians mm. need to put their hand up to help with that too because we will need them to free up the funding. Kim, this has been great. Before I wrap up, is there anything else that's going to be really great for our listeners to think about, whether that's something that you're doing at Neura, at the Australian and New Zealand Falls Prevention Society, or anything we've talked about today? I think most of the essential points like we really covered, but to all the listeners, just be active and never get anyone to say to you, you're too old to be active or it's not necessary Mm. to be active or to do exercises because it's important at any time to do the right exercises. You know, balance exercise is one of the key things. Just going for a walk might not be sufficient anymore from the age of 65. And if you're not sure what that means, Mm. like have a chat with your GP. Yeah, that's great. And for anyone who is caring for, for older adults or who has older adults in their family, all of the above. Exactly. <laughs> Kim, this has been so fantastic. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Ash. Well, we hope you enjoyed this conversation. Don't forget that each Friday, we've got a fresh episode of our new show, Who Cares?, in which Daniela and Maury take another look at the ideas we've been discussing in today's episode and how they might affect all of us working in the aged care industry. It's fun, thought-provoking, and just a little bit silly. And the good news is it's all right here in the podcast feed. So you don't have to click anywhere else. But if you want to make sure you don't miss out, hit the subscribe button and you'll find out exactly when that episode is available. Anyway, we'll see you next week.